Welcome to Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. Each week, we explore questions of faith, community, and identity. This is Jessica Chen Fing, and I'm your host for this season as we dive into issues of mental and relationship health. Thank you for joining us. All right, so today I have a couple with me a couple that I love very much. They are very good friends of ours, myself and my husband. This is Scott Kim and Sandy Kim. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah, so instead of speaking for you and introducing you, I would have so much to say. I'm gonna let you guys introduce yourselves and your relationship, whatever you wanna tell our listeners. Hi, Jessica. My name is Sandra Kim. I'm an adjunct professor of race and ethnic studies at Cal State LA. I'm also the founder and director of a community organization called Asian American Justice and Innovation Lab. I'm Scott Kim. I'm a, a doctor. In my career, I've taken care of uh, a lot of uh, HIV-infected patients. So that was a very stressful time in my life. It, it sort of provided a rocky foundation for uh, our, our relationship. But, uh, you know, we've grown a lot through our almost 15 years of marriage and certainly changed me a lot as, as a person. I'll let Cindy jump in. It, the only thing I have to add to what Scott said about our relationship is that we got m- married very young. I was only 26. And Scott, you were 29. Yep. <laughs> um, I should know that. Yeah, so that, that plays into our journey as well, of course. But yeah, we've been married almost 15 years now. We celebrate in November, our 15th year. Wow. And that's kind of wild to think about, actually. We've been married a long time, Scott. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, thanks so much. And uh, it's so funny you say you got married young, right? It depends who's listening, right? 26 <laughs> and 29. So how about, could you speak to some of the challenges you've had in your marriage? And um, we can talk a little more about things like patriarchy or racism, but just, you know, 15 years, that's a long time. What have been some of the ways it's been challenging for both of you? You know, I think the the toughest thing uh, about uh, our relationship in the beginning, when I look back, is that I had a very, I think, low level of self-awareness as a person. And I was also not very emotionally healthy uh, as an individual. I didn't realize it at the time. I think a lot of doubts that I had about myself and about the way I was living were things that I addressed routinely through ideology. Uh, If I didn't know why things were messed up or why I wasn't happy or uh, if I wasn't reacting to things the way I thought a mature person should, uh, I would try to find a theological or ideological explanation for that. And because I was a person of very strong convictions uh, at the time, I also applied those constructs to our relationship. So if we had a problem, there was a right way for one or the other person to behave. There was a rule or a principle that applied. And I would resort to these constructs because I didn't have any other natural or intuitive way of addressing what wasn't working. So one way of you know, kind of uh, creating a metaphor for that is I didn't have a language uh, with which to speak to my feelings, my state of emotional health, or to Sandy's feelings uh, and uh, her framework of, of perception. And that's sort of where our relationship started out from, from my perspective. Uh, I don't know what you, you experienced, Sandy, uh, in your own words, but yeah. Um, I will say that 
our dating period was very, very short. We fell in love fast and hard and we got married less than a year later. And so I was really entering the relationship of marriage, not knowing Scott at all. We had a long distance relationship. So we were, I was teaching in South Korea when we met online via friends. And then our dating consisted mostly of phone calls and emails. <laughs> so it's kind of wild just how we met and how fast we ended up getting married. But the biggest challenge for me was realizing I didn't know this person very well at all <laughs> when we started living together. And when we were dating, he, he seemed to me the most sensitive man I had ever met, like very in touch with his feelings, seemingly very self-aware. And then I, then we started living together and I'm, I realized, oh my gosh, uh, that's not true. I mean, <laughs> Scott is very in touch with his feelings, but there was this whole, there were all these blind spots. So he believed that he was like liberally minded and progressive. And I believed that about him. But then when it came to the way we navigated our relationship day in and day out, I felt like it was very patriarchal. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of our fights in the beginning revolved around that. And so um, just kind of building off of what Scott had just said, as you can probably intuit, he, he wanted structure and he wanted rules. And for me on my, my end, it felt very transactional. Like you do this and I do this. If you do this, then I do this. And I'm wondering, where's the... Where's the relationship? Where's the spontaneity? Where's the romance? Where's the relationality? And so I think those were some of the really big challenges that we were facing in the first few years. Thanks for sharing that. And I know, Sandy, you mentioned the idea of patriarchy. I'm wondering about the role of patriarchy and maybe just even in how your racial identity intersecting with your gender identity, your Korean American background, how that might have played into some of those challenges. And church too, like Christian ideology, all of that. You, you want to go first, Sandy? I want to hear your perspective on this because I feel like it would be helpful for me to then respond to that. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, as ideological and as theological and as intellectual as I was at the beginning of our marriage, I only recognize now some of the very critical blind spots I had in my paradigm, in my, my overall outlook uh, on the world. And I think one of the major blind spots really revolved around personal responsibility. You know, I, I think that I took responsibility for the health of our relationship in a very, very specific, very narrow way. I, I wanted to be a fair, reasonable, truthful person who, you know, followed through with my career responsibilities, provided for the home, created what I would call like a macro direction for our family. I, I didn't assume this role consciously or intentionally I assumed it really subconsciously and intuitively as I saw our dynamic evolve. In the beginning of our marriage, 
I saw Sandy as someone who was younger than I was. Like I, I, I felt at the time that I could sense the three-year age difference. I sensed a, a significant difference in uh, our extent of life experience. Like I, I had, at the time we married, I had seen people suffer and die of drug addiction. I had seen a lot of poverty. I had seen particularly the epidemic of IV heroin among young black men in East Baltimore. I had gone through seasons of deep depression uh, and even personal agony as a result of being surrounded by poverty, despair, and human cruelty. And this certainly provoked stress behaviors that I brought into the marriage, but it also made me feel like in many ways I was more experienced and more mature, more wise in the ways of the world than, than my wife, who seemed to me uh, to be a, just a happier, more optimistic person. Uh, I made the incorrect assumption that her sunny personality was the result of a lack of true suffering or life experience. And that entitled me to, you know, kind of assert that my way of looking at things was, was true and the reflection of wisdom and life experience, as opposed to the unique product of my upbringing and my values. So there, there was a lot of work that had to happen there. I think patriarchy was built into it. I never would have admitted back then that I had privilege of any kind in society or in our relationship. I would have told you that my way of talking to my wife, managing our finances, making decisions for the family was a natural byproduct of our personalities. Me being the more aggressive, assertive person, Sandy being more of a follower. And I, I recognize in retrospect, that was buried in assumptions uh, that were themselves rooted in the ideologies and the culture that I had grown up with. Yeah. So going back to how I felt like we didn't know each other when we started living together. Everything he just said about his assumptions about me is why I felt that way. He, you know, that I wasn't a natural leader, that I was more naturally a follower, that I didn't have the level of wisdom he had because he was, oh, three years older than me. Um, and these are the, the ways in which we butt heads because I constantly felt patronized and I felt like he was talking down to me and I'd say, hey, I thought you were a feminist. <laughs> and he'd say, no, this isn't about feminism. This is about like our personalities. And I'm saying, no, it's not. So we would go around in circles about this. But what I saw from my point of view was, wow, the way our like daily lives play out is no different from the home I grew up in or the home Scott grew up in where the man goes to work the woman, you know, takes care of the home, is expected to take care of the kids. And, you know, all of these things that I thought we were beyond, because ideologically, we, we were supposed to be on the same page, that we were progressive and feminist. And so I would call him out on that. And that was quite, of a, quite a struggle, because I think a lot of it was internalized and had become so normal for Scott in the home environment he grew up in that I think it was hard to imagine doing things differently, um, especially with all the stress that he was under with um, his medical training and like seeing people die and be abused or abuse drugs. And he was seeing HIV patients in Baltimore. All of these factors converging into a very complicated situation when we were interacting on a day-to-day -day level. And so, yeah, I mean, I remember there was one point where we were fighting and he, he literally, uh, you probably don't remember this, Scott, but he literally said, I'm the head of this family. You have to just submit. Do you remember that, Scott? 
Oh yeah, I, I think I do. I, I think I said it in a moment of anger and uh, it felt so good. Yeah, it felt so <laughs> and good. And I was just you know? like, wait a second, this is not what I signed up for. Yeah. <laughs> that was very early on. Yeah. Um, so that was, my, that was my language of control. I, yeah. I often felt so out of control in my life being a, a young, brand new professional, balancing a, a career and a, a home life with a new child that generally made me feel inadequate and helpless. And um, the one person that was my captive audience was my wife. And if I was helpless and lacking control in multiple areas of my life, this was the one area in which you know, my stress behavior would and could uh, trigger me to assert greater control. So I don't think those comments were common. I think even then I was ashamed of what I said, but it gratified a deep and like unmet inner desire to well, gain control over yeah, things yeah. in my life. To your credit, you apologized. So he apologized and he admitted that, that that was not the right thing to say, that he didn't believe that. That was good um, because we, can build on, we could build on that conversation. But I feel like that's a really good illustration for how patriarchy becomes internalized mm-hmm. in both of us, uh, how it was internalized in both of us and how it came out in a moment like a Freudian slip when you want to control and you're stressed out. But upon retrospect, you know, you were able to say, okay, I'm sorry, which I appreciated. Yeah. So I I think the audience can maybe understand why the two of you are here today, because what you're sharing really highlights all these invisible variables that we don't see when we're in the thick of marriage and when it's tough, which is, psychological, mental health, and stress, right, in life, in the season of your life, whether it was Scott's professional (laughs) career or, like, not expectations of marriage not being met, and then this insidious patriarchy, right? I think many of our listeners believe in gender equality and egalitarian perspectives, but especially in the Asian American context, we absorb all of that from our families, the world around us, and even in our best intentions, when we're stressed, upset, out of control, I mean, all of that comes out, and that was a really great illustration of that. So I know I would love to ask so many more follow-up questions, but for the sake of time, I wanted to move into what has it looked like to work through these challenges? I mean, I know it's been many years, but if there's a way that you could describe how have things shifted? How did you grow forward together? Yeah, you, you want me to start first again? or I, can't, I need more time to think. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's something about us too. I, I think I... My, my feelings are very intense and I, I, I'll usually speak first. I'll usually initiate a conversation. I'll usually take something at her. And so she's frequently in a reactive mode, which, you know, if this happens over and over again, can, you know, can ultimately train us to be in a uh, initiator reactor mold. Uh, that was maybe one thing that came out of our therapy that was valuable that the observation of our dynamic, which was invisible to us. And, and that can be reversed through conscious work. You know, I think to a, a third person observer, what it's looked like is um, a lot of long, deep, emotional conversations 
where uh, we, we blamed each other for irresponsibility and a lack of consideration and came gradually to a common shared understanding of what we had just experienced. And this was a kind of discourse and dialogue that we began to engage in with greater trust and safety and confidence in the outcome. Uh, in the beginning, our fights were about letting out steam, being right, trying to force the other person to admit wrongdoing. Uh, eventually, I think our more contentious emotional conversations became uh, a way of getting to know each other. I would often initiate these. I would often push the conversation to an emotional level. It was very frequently uncomfortable for Sandy. I don't think either of us at the time would have looked at this as uh, something constructive for our growth. But I think that's, that was an important part of our growth as a couple. Uh, the confrontation, the conflict, you know, the, the forced momentum or forced convergence toward a common understanding. And I think um, through that, what a third-person observer would not be able to see was the inner work that began once she and I both began to understand the patterns that led to our conflict and were able to reflect on how each of us were personally contributing to that. For me, I think what I, what I began to recognize is that this idea of marriage as two people becoming one was something that uh, I had internalized and sort of used as an excuse for uh, forcing Sandy to see things my way, forcing her path to converge with mine, forcing her to submit her desires and interests in life to mine. And increasingly, I think, through our pattern of interaction, uh, I began to recognize that maybe a metaphor that was more appropriate and healthy for us was two people walking together not converging into oneness, but really maintaining parallel paths and mutual respect. I've come to see Sandy not as an extension of myself, which was my temptation early on, but as her own whole, beautiful, uh, inspiring person who has a lot to give me and a lot to give the world. And um, that's, that's the change, I think, that our process uh, enacted on me, enacted in me. Yeah, I did need more time and now I'm ready to talk. Um, so some key things that I think were um, pivotal for our relationship was one, I remember there was a time where we said we have to apologize to each other. We have to own up when we've done something wrong. Um, because I think up until that point, both of us were hesitant to actually apologize. But apologizing was really crucial for both of us in being able to hear the other person. The second agreement I remember we made once, Scott, do you remember? It was about like, did we call them trigger buttons? Mm. What was it? Like, yeah. like, but like the things that would trigger us into instant anger and rage. So one of the things he would say to me that would trigger my rage would be, you are irrational. Irrational. Oh my gosh. I still get mad when I think about it. <laughs> uh... Honestly, it was, whenever he said that, it, he had his blinders on because if anyone from the outside was analyzing our situation, it, I was not being more irrational than he was. We we're maybe both being irrational or we were being rational in our own ways. And as someone who, you know, analyzes like texts for my a living and I teach, you know, it was just a big trigger whenever he called me irrational because I pride myself in my ability to be rational and logical. Um, so I told him, you have to stop saying that because I can't have a conversation with you if you say that. So, and then he gave me one. I don't remember what it was. Do you remember, Scott? There was something that triggered him as well. 
Oh, uh, many, many. Yeah, there are many, and we we traded them. And I remember from that point on, our conversations felt much more productive because mm -hmm. before that, we just kept going on in circles, like hurling insults at each other. Um, so that was helpful. And then the last thing that was helpful, we we found that using paradigms like MBTI and the Enneagram and attachment theory, these like systems that categorize like personalities and ways of thinking and approaching the world helped us have a neutral language with which to analyze what was happening between us. And so it helped us step outside of our own dynamics and sort of with a, you know, somewhat more objective lens, be able to talk through, okay, what it, what's going on with us? Why are we going through the, these cycles of like dysfunction or argument? And yeah, I found that those were really helpful because if things got heated between us, it's like, okay, let's pause. Let's turn to this tool that can help us like the Enneagram, yeah. you know, how are our personalities and our different ways of assessing what's normal or healthy or sufficient? How are those ideas actually informing this conflict that we're having now? Yeah, I'll say yeah. one thing that I think is interesting, a brief insight that just came to me is that um, I had to move out of ideology into uh, emotional reality uh, early in my marriage in order to give Sandy freedom and space to be understood and, and appreciated for who she is. And then later on, conceptuality became helpful, like uh, concepts like the Enneagram that enabled us to look at ourselves and understand and uh, give grace to our own variations in behavior and, and, and reactions. I learned through the Enneagram to laugh at myself, and I laugh at myself a lot now. And uh, I've learned, ironically, I, I am definitely the less, the less rational of the two of us, despite <laughs> what I accused her of early in the marriage. But, but I have my giftings that maybe don't include being hyper-rational. And mm. I've learned to enjoy myself more as a person and as a married man as a result. Yeah, wow. So I, what I'm really impacted by just listening to you both is the amount of energy and effort and intentionality that had to go into figuring these things out over the marriage so far. Your individual work, your individual awareness, but also in your cycles of arguing, how you had to troubleshoot, come up with helpful ideas, and how over time that was what helped you work through these things. But I'm just hearing just how much work it took and how great you both can talk about it together now. And one thing I also heard that's congruent with the research on marital satisfaction is in heterosexual relationships when the husband is able to really hear and receive influence from a wife. And what you just said, Scott, that Sandy, you needed to enter this emotional sphere. That was a language that she spoke, and you needed to learn how to do that. And when that, when she was seen and heard in that way, okay, then maybe you could address other issues. But I, I heard you doing that, which is you know what we read about in research too. So that's awesome. So we just have a few minutes left, and if you know both of you could speak to what you are delighting in in this season of marriage and what you're doing to continue to move toward connecting with one another. I've never felt so seen, heard, and known by anybody else in my entire life, including my own family. And I'm going to start crying, thinking about how much work it took to get here with Scott. But I really feel like he knows me so well and my heart 
and what I want to um, pursue in life, you know, my values and my dreams. And when I, when I contrast that to the beginning of our relationship, it's like night and day. I mean, just even the anecdotes we were telling you about the first years, I, I had never seen, felt so unseen and unheard in those early years. So um, it's, it's really great to be participating in this interview because it helps me reflect on um, just how beautiful our journey has been. And so something I really delight in is just being able to come home to Scott and just feel so safe and know that he understands me to the core of my being and loves who I am and will support me in anything that I, you know, want to um, pursue. And so I appreciate that, Scott. Mm. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that, that means a lot to me. I'll share two reflections. You know, I think one is uh, I, I have called Sandy a mentor to me, one of my greatest mentors. I no longer see her as someone who is younger and less experienced in the world than I am. And in 15 years of marriage, I, I've had the unique blessing of seeing how much she has changed and influenced me. It's really extraordinary. I, I credit her with really introducing me to mindfulness, which has changed my whole life uh, over the past year and a half. And I actually, it was through meditation that I came to a new definition of what love is. For me, love is very much about awareness. I cannot love Sandy unless I'm really aware, deeply aware of who she is and what she's thinking, uh, how she sees the world uh, in her shoes. And for many years, I, I tried to perform as a good husband, as a good father. I don't really do that anymore. What I try to, to be when I'm with my family and particularly with my wife is simply present and aware because I know and I'm very confident that you know, if I am aware of my wife, I will love her and I will truly act toward her in a way that's compassionate and that reduces her suffering and, and that brings me joy. I think the second reflection that I think is really beautiful about our marriage is that I've learned to embrace what I've been conditioned to look at as my feminine nature and I've been able to appreciate in Sandy qualities that uh, I had previously branded as masculine in nature. So I really enjoy watching her lead. I really enjoy watching her assert herself. I, I encourage her in those things because it's beautiful. It completes the picture of who she is uh, in the relationship she has even outside of our family. And for me, being uh, an emotional, sensitive, uh, even particular person is something that uh, I, I didn't take great pride in or, or value as a younger man. I wanted to be strong, stoic, quiet, enduring. And I, I thwarted my growth by imposing that arbitrary picture of masculinity on myself. And by accepting myself as the more emotional, more sensitive, maybe more finicky person in this relationship, I've learned to express compassion to myself. I've become emotionally more healthy. And, and I have become a stronger, more resilient person as a result of embracing those aspects of myself that truly shouldn't be branded either masculine or feminine, but just essential human characteristics. And, and Sandy has allowed me and encouraged me to accept that about myself and, and come to a, a place of peace with who I am. Wow, what a gift. Sandy and Scott, just listening to your story today, such a gift to me, even though I've known you a while already, and I know it's been a gift to many of our listeners. It gives us hope for those of us who wrestle in our current relationships that um, there's a lot of transformation that can still happen. And as we all move toward our 
mutual and supportively seeing one another in our relationships. Thank you, Sandy and Scott, for your time today. Thanks yeah. for having us. Great fun. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. This episode was edited by Alexander Cathedral and produced by Jason Chu with music by Mark Redito. We'll see you next time and hope that you remember God loves all of you.